Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene, and I'm here with Rick Owens. And one guest who does not need introduction is Rick. So welcome, Rick. It's really nice to have you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, did I tell you that the idea for the podcast uh, was came because of you, actually? Did I ever <laughs> tell you that story? No, tell it to me now. Yeah. Uh, it was, it actually came from my wife and she was there when we last talked about the Gilles, uh, Legaspi book yeah, uh, yeah, and about the book of your own photos before you came to New York. And then she read the article and she said, well, the article was great, but you guys had such a great conversation that so much of it was lost. Like you just can't put it all in an article. And she said, you should launch a podcast. So I and that was that. I deliberated for about a year, and then, but now that the whole thing's been taken off, I thought, you know what, I should do that. So here we are, finally. So it was really after that conversation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that's how the idea for the podcast came, because we thought it's true that articles don't tell the whole story. And the conversational tone of it does not come across and people seem to love it. So thank you. You know, for podcasts it. seem like such a great idea. I just can't, I just can't engage with them for some reason. Just like uh, books on tape seems like such a good idea. For some yeah. reason, I just, I, you know, I need to read it. I don't know why. I can't. Yeah. Um, and it just seems so logical. I mean, if you can walk around and be on the metro listening to music why can't you just listen to a why can't i just listen to a podcast but for some reason i just can't i don't know it doesn't work for me um mm, so i i, I yeah. never really listen to them although i although i think it's a brilliant idea maybe it's a generational thing i just <sighs> i think that may be part of it rick because for me it also took me a while to get into it and i listen rarely i prefer listening to music when I, if I'm listening to anything, but sometimes I'll listen to podcasts because like you said, you know, like if, if I, I would ride my bike and listen, or when I exercise, I listen, or when I clean my house and that's about it. But yeah, I, I hear you. I used to be like, well, I'll just listen to music and to my own yeah, thoughts. Yeah. Or read. I mean, I still, I still like to read, although I, I don't read as much as I used to. Um, yeah. When I was younger, I, I, I was a voracious reader, but I think, um, I think when it, I think when my time at bat came up, when it came time for me to execute things and to perform, I just kind of shifted. I pivoted into that. And I, I feel like all of the reading I'd ever done was kind of, um, school, um, not school, because it was all pleasure, but I feel like I had spent a period feeding myself <clears throat> and studying, and then I shifted over into expressing everything that I'd ever absorbed, my kind of, my composition of that. So, yeah. 
And also, I just don't have the attention, uh, the attention span I used to have. Um, Who does, right? Yeah. It's such a shame. It, it is really it? is a shame. I think so, because I really think, and I can tell you from my perspective, and I, 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 in preparation for this, I reread an article on you, the New Yorker article that's from 2008. Mm -hmm. And Sally Singer, the editor of Vogue at the time, says, what you see on the runway from Rick is the result of his cultural education. And mm -hmm. I think like, I, it is so true. And that's what I think people forget. And a lot of people who have a cursory interest in your work, maybe, or maybe interest that's more aesthetic. But what people, I think what needs to come across is that how much you've read and how educated you are, because you, like you said, you have all these cultural influences that you are able to then filter through your own lens and bring them out in your own specific way. And let, let's face it, you've spawned a lot of imitators. But the thing is, you I feel like you do have to have that cultural input to put out something great. And for in my line of work, Rick, I'll tell you, a lot of young designers I interview, they're, they're not very articulate and i think it may come from that you know we don't read anymore but i think maybe it's becoming more instinctive i mean you see how this generation absorbs information on instagram and and just the way information is layered differently than it was when we were young um yeah. So I always hesitate to disapprove of anything that's happening um, because it's evolution. And if it's evolution, there's a trueness to it that you can't deny, kind of. So I think we might be losing some things, but gaining some other things that maybe we can't really quite define yet. Um, I, I, I refuse to be an old man who disapproves of a young generation. <laughs> Um, they're, they're just doing, they're just shifting and things, things are changing yeah. and evolving. And, um, it makes, it's supposed to make our generation uncomfortable and they're not doing mm -hmm. it right if it doesn't. So, um, yeah. so I, I think, I think, um, yeah, aesthetics are, aesthetics are changing. I was reading about, um, this morning. What, what, what was that thing? It was, um, oh, hell, now I can't remember. Digital artwork up for auction. Um, that it's, it's, very, it's very confusing for me, and I, I still haven't really figured it out. Where is it? I'm looking for this article right now. Are you um, reading about NFTs? Yes, NFTs. <laughs> yeah. NFTs. And um, it seems like a novelty that, uh, that is, is on its way somewhere. It's right now, it just seems like a novelty to me. 
but yeah. I mean, I haven't really, I haven't really absorbed it completely yet. But I mean, it's still probably going to have some influence that we um, that could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, aesthetics. Um, we we've seen how they they've gradually shifted from craft to um, non-craft to calculation yes to shrewdness and Mm -hmm. and you know disapprove or resist it as we might it's there and it's an interesting evolution and it's threatening and it's cynical and it's it's doing all those things that a young generation is supposed to do to reject the generation before it's scandalizing us. It's making us nervous. So, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm also curious where it will end up. And I'm also quite optimistic for all my griping, to be honest. <laughs> I just come off as like very critical. But I don't think we can be cynical, right? Because I think that's when we... Oh, I'm cynical as fuck. Totally. You are? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's, that's what my whole life is. My whole life is um, judging and discarding what isn't true um, and trying to cut through bullshit and insincerity. And, um, and so there's a lot of mistrust. I mean, I, 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 uh, I'm always looking for an agenda or an angle in people's motivations or in any kind of creative gesture. So, um, yeah, I'm super cynical, but, um, but there, there is definitely a sense of hope there. There's an optimist, an optimism just in the energy and the drive to pursue, um, to pursue beauty and some kind of transcendence that that's hope. And that is optimistic. Um, yeah. I'm just what, cynical what, on the road there. Yeah. What I'm concerned about is, uh, you know, the drive will always be there. And I think that's fantastic. I don't think we can just get away. I think anyone who has a soul cannot do otherwise, right? It's well, more about... Well, some people about... have more drive than others. Some people are more... Um, in the moment and, and more um, appreciative of the moment. There are other people that, that are just grimly plowing through to get to some kind of finish line. And sometimes I, I think that's who I am. Sometimes I think I can't really appreciate the moment enough because I have some kind of drive to propel me. Um, really? Even where yeah. you are now at this stage? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even more than ever, because now, um, I, I, as I get older, I, I sense my mortality more and, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel, I feel like I've got a grasp on something good. I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I, I've had some creative peaks and now there is this, um, um, I wouldn't call it fear, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that I want it. I want to extend it, 
and nothing lasts forever. So, you know, you, and you know, I see, I see things changing in my body and my face. I, I sense time, um, mm -hmm. coming up on me. I, I, you know, it's, I can't control myself physically the way I used to. So, um, and I'm kind of, a, I, I kind of have a, um, an adolescence broodiness, I guess, an adolescent yeah. broodiness that, um, that kind of, uh, the, the, there's a pessimist underneath the optimist. So, um, you know, kind of looking for the worst. I totally understand this mentality, actually. I think I've always struggled with that. You know, there is a sense of, well, it always, my sense of optimism always struggles with my sense of pessimism. But I think that's normal now in, in, uh, in people. Well, Especially I'm attracted when you come to people to... that are more, that are, I'm, I'm attracted to people that are more hedonistic than I am because they are seizing the moment and taking, and, and, and relishing in joy without wasting time um, brooding about what could go wrong, which is, I think, a form of self-pity that is very unattractive to me that I detect in myself sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can be romantic, that kind of, that kind of melancholy can be romantic. Yeah. But it can also be, it can also teeter over into self-indulgence. So I'm always kind of nerve. I'm always kind of conscious of that. Of like, when do I teeter over into self-indulgence? And I'm, I, I feel like I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, but don't we all on some level? It's a kind of a... Maybe it's a sign of our like collective narcissism, you know, that that the punishing super ego that doesn't quite let us do what we want to do. Well, I wish I was a little bit more callous and uh, could just force myself to get over myself and just have a good time. You know, that's, um, I think I could yeah. use a little bit more of that. <laughs> it's, I think this may come as a surprise to a lot of people because you seem so, um, free in your work. Oh, well, I am because I'm pushing myself to be reckless. I'm pushing myself to be, to uh, take chances and to to be reckless. To be reckless is the best thing. I mean, that's that's um, that's the place where I have my adventures. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, the work is very uninhibited, mm -hmm. and I, by now, like it's incredible to see you cut out really like cut out your universe with scissors and and say this is what it is and it's so different from everything else out there T to the point where you know and i'm not 
trying to blow smoke up your ass, right? Honestly, but like we were going to do, we do these episodes where we review Paris Fashion Week with my friend Philippe Hashemi, uh, who is also a journalist. And last time he said, you know, Eugene, I don't want to do this one because we can't keep talking about Rick for an hour. <laughs> like, uh, really, like, you know, in terms of modernism, in terms of modernity, in terms of authorship, in terms of uniqueness, it's it's really... Yeah, like, I don't know what else is. There's not much else out there. And well, I could so, yeah, so no, you cannot stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan on stopping. I plan on, on raging on um, forever. I'm, I'm really glad. Uh, so we really need that. It's uh, <laughs> what did you say last time we talked? It's it's the revenge and it's the revenge on Middle America. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's there's a, there's some anger there, which is good fuel. It, it is. Are people, I feel like going back maybe to. I read this book, which I highly recommend to everyone. It's called um, "The Culture of Narcissism." I don't know if you've heard of it, but Mm-mm. put it on your list. It's incredible. Put and maybe it on that's my why list I, of books to put in a stack to save for the beach that I never get to. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it can move like on top of the stack at some point. <laughs> maybe you can just reshuffle maybe, them. Maybe you can just send me like a one paragraph summary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it sounds good. Um, but anyway, a lot of it was about how people are. I think the result of narciss- one result of narcissism is that people are first afraid to be angry, but that suppression then turns into these incredible, unwarranted outbursts of anger anyway. And I've always said, actually, like a healthy amount of anger is a very healthy emotion to have. Don't, don't you think? Because it is a driver. Well, it, it, it's worked for me, but I do recoil and and at, at all of that internet anger and and judgment and intolerance that we've seen um, in the last well since since the internet. I, 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 seeing that um, that is has been horrific. Um, that that is exactly what he says. It's the result of that, you know, that we actually have become so intolerant as a culture, which also it is horrifying how people are quick to judge and dismiss and actually ruin people's lives because they said something wrong twenty five years ago and it happened mm. to be on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we used to be more forgiving and tolerant as a culture than we are now. Well, maybe pockets, maybe pockets were tolerant, but I think that the the probably, I mean, I, I don't think we've changed that much. I think that's probably um, an ugly truth that we never really admitted to ourselves as much or that we weren't quite as aware of. But I think it's just kind of an ugly truth. I think... Um, 
I mean, we know that the world is not fair. We know that the world is not um, kind. Now we just have more obvious evidence. <laughs> yeah, maybe now that everyone has access to the microphone, <laughs> everyone is free to express where, that before they had no audience for, and now everybody has an audience. And a lot of times it's like an it echo really chamber. It really is the Tower of Babel. Yeah, yeah. Well, enough about that. <laughs> about this, um, Rick. I want what I wanted to to talk about a bit because I haven't really asked you. I wanted to talk to you actually about your time in LA when you when you were really young and doing all the crazy shit that you were doing. And I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about that. Because um, I feel like that has gotten lost because there's been so much written about you. And I think people don't go back to the early interviews where it's more pronounced about like your time in LA and what you did and how you hung out. Well, with my earliest my earliest interviews are not that early. I mean, I just started when I was 40. So... Yeah. Um, everything that I've talked about is in retrospect. Um, and it, yeah, it got me, it, it took me a while to get rolling. Um, and when I first moved to LA to be a art student, um, I didn't really have that much imagination because I'd never really traveled and travel. I mean, it was, it wasn't even anything that we really considered in Porterville. It wasn't a consideration. I never, I never thought about it and I never really had the urge. I mean, just, you know, going to Europe was like going to the moon, like other people did it. Um, mm -hmm. so then going to LA, um, I, 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 I kind of, I didn't really explore that much when I first moved there. I didn't, um, it, it's funny looking back on it now. I mean, now I'll do anything, but then I was so kind of, I, it wasn't even really, it wasn't repressed. It was just that I didn't know where to go or how to explore, or I just didn't have the tools. Um, and then gradually, um, then gradually I learned. And I learned where to go and I learned how to find things and I learned how to be a part of things and I learned how to explore. Um, and then I just jumped in. Um, I just leaped and I explored everywhere that I could in LA. Um, and, and that's when I, I, was, I drank a lot and, and I drank a lot because um, I just needed courage. I just didn't know. Um, I needed courage to push myself to, to um, explore. Um, and it worked and it was great for a while. Mm. And yeah. Was, what was it? Do you have was a question? <laughs> was it, was it terrifying to, to discover um, I guess the underworld <laughs> or was it exciting no no not at all I mean that's exactly where I wanted to be I wanted depravity 
um, utter depravity. And, and I knew that that existed. And, um, uh, and I'm trying to think of like what examples I read about. I, I guess the one that comes, it just comes to my mind just because I, I was in Rome um, a couple of weeks ago. I remember a history book about the Colosseum um, and I, and it was a salacious, it probably wasn't even a history book. It was just like, just some kind of, um, it, it was in my dad's library. So it, it couldn't have been that trashy. It was, it was, so it had to have something <laughs> to do with history. But anyway, um, you know, virgins being raped by bulls and Christians eaten by alligators and, 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 and babies set on fire to use as lamps in the Colosseum. And I don't know if any of this is true, but I remember, um, and then La Ba by uh, Huizman about satanic rituals in, in 18th century Paris. So, and, you know, and then all of the sex parts from, um, from um, Remembrance of Things Past. So, I researched and I knew that that world existed and that it was exciting and that I wanted to, to join it. I just, it took me a while to figure out how to do it once I got to LA. But then when I did, um, yeah, it wasn't terrifying. It was, it was, it was thrilling and it was um, glamorous and, and sexy and sophisticated. So, um, Was that sort of that glamour in the dirt? aesthetic that has kind of traveled with you right yeah but i mean i'm yeah. not the first to 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 celebrate it i mean I, I come from a long line of creators that have celebrated that it's it's a niche it's a mm -hmm. niche that will survive us all it's an eternal yeah. niche <laughs> thankfully it will survive us all <laughs> uh yeah, what did you wear? I still, you know, sometimes, sometimes I look around at my apartment here, um, mm -hmm. and I, th I think, shit, you got bougie. It's it's like you know travertine and mirrors and <laughs> antique furniture, and I, I'm thinking, I I I have to find I have to find like a, a a warehouse near the railroad tracks or something that's really that's scary. <laughs> this is I got so. Like, what am I going to do next? Like, buy some loafers, some Gucci loafers? <laughs> well, no, you're not going to do that. We know. I think it's just like, I know exactly what you're saying. And so I'm like, we're like apartment hunting now because it's finally time, time to move out of the, you know, immigrant armpit of New York neighborhood that I've been in for 30 years. And like everywhere I look, I'm like, it's so fucking bourgeois. Like it's so gentrified. It's so panopticon. You know, everyone is watching each other. But I feel like it's a curse we have because we're into beautiful things and quality things and design things. And it's sort of elevating the dirt and giving it glam but the kind of the dirt never goes away you know it's just a much nicer version of it <laughs> and 
But, you know, like travertine is not that far from concrete. No, it's just. No, it's a different version of it's a different version of concrete. Um, no, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to punish myself, but. Um, no. Um, but, yeah, I, I do. I do have to remind myself to stay dirty. Yeah. And I, 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 I think that's great we need this so much i was in the store a couple of months ago that shall not that shall go unnamed and uh because it was a mono brand boutique and the like the salesperson was like so what do you wear like what do you, designers do you like i'm like i like rick and Wait, and I lost you like, for a second. Uh, there, oh, the salesperson said, "What was asking me like, how do you like the clothes?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, it's a little too clean for me." And he said, "So, well, what do you wear?" Like I said, "Well, I wear a lot of rig because I like I need some dirt in my life." <laughs> and this was just a little too. It's all a little too polished. I'm like, I like I need. I need to take the polish off. Even this like marble desk that I got, I was like, well, what if I, can I try to like take the polish off of it? Turns out that you can't because like you mess it up, but I did my best. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is for you. I feel it's like I can, I am so trying to hold on to where I've come from as a teenager and what I wallowed in as a teenager, and no matter how self-indulgent it was, but there was some truth to the angst that I never want to get rid of. I never you want to what? forget. In my travertine apartment this week, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have been listening to Sisters of Mercy. And I haven't listened to Sisters of Mercy for, I don't know, 15 years or 18 years or something. I mean, um, see, <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it on head on earbuds. Um, we never had sound quality like that 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Maybe it's even 40 years. Like, yeah. I don't remember how old, how old those yeah. albums are. Anyway, yeah, we didn't have that years. sound quality. We never heard it that loud. We never felt that bass in the pit of our stomach this, that way. So now I'm listening to, um, and I've been, uh, Lights, my, my favorite song, my favorite Sisters <laughs> of Mercy song, Lights. Um, listening to it super loud, earbuds, while I'm working out, in my state-of-the-art gym, in my travertine apartment in Italy, <laughs> Re re remembering how I used to listen to that song in, um, in like a warehouse in LA, um, high and drunk and um, broke and um, creatively frustrated and um, very frustrated um, and maybe despairing. I'm sure I probably was. Um, anyway, so that contrast was just kind of really 
delicious. Right? <laughs> hearing it under such different circumstances, but it's still... Um, and I also was remembering how, how I haven't heard anything as authentically dreary and dark as Sisters of Mercy since. Like any techno, any, um, anything just seems like kind of decorative and derivative after, um, after listening to that Sisters of Mercy. I don't really know if it's the music itself or if it's just my, the patina of time and my memory of um, the circumstances I was in when I was lis listening to it originally. I can't really tell. I can't figure out. Um, but I know that, that I was, that it was very satisfying. I was thinking, oh, I'm tired of all this disco shit. It's so great <laughs> doing something really authentically dirty. Um, yeah. And really nihilistic, not, not, not frantic and anxious, um, but really, really nihilistic. Um, Anyway, that was really fun. And I'm still doing it. I'm still listening. I'm still, I'm, you know, I'll probably listen to it tonight when I'm yeah. working out. Awesome. I got to send you, um, you'll appreciate it. I'll, I'll send you my, um, the wedding invitation we did for a wedding. It was, it was from, it was Sisters of Mercy based on it. <laughs> I think you'll get a chuckle out of it. And then we made it into eight foot neon. You remember this graphic, like um, "fuck me and marry me young." Mm -hmm. So that that was sort of that was our wedding invitation, and then we made it into like an eight foot neon, and that was at our wedding. Do you still have it? <laughs> oh yeah, it's on my wall. So like, uh, part oh, of good. it is sitting in the bedroom, and then part of it is on my wall. The star is on my on on our wall in the living room, and then. Yeah. Fuck me and marry me young. It's right here in the bedroom next to the bed. How long have you been married now? Uh, it's been a year and a half. It's just when uh, when we started dating, people were like, my wife looks, it's hard to sell, to tell if she's like 18 or 32. Yeah. So people, people would be like, as an aside, they would meet her and they would be like, how old is your wife? Oh, like, how old is your girlfriend? And I'd say, she's, she's 31. And, and, and you can hear like a sigh of relief, like, oh, okay, not a child molester. <laughs> so when it, when it was time like to do the wedding, I was like, we should turn this, we should make this into a thing. And so we did it and it turned out really great. And now we have this great memento in their house but anyway you for sure you'll meet her one day like whenever we can start traveling again mm. so yeah that's my story i want to know do you remember what you wore those years in la before you started making your own stuff you know what platforms really <laughs> i wore platforms i did um, and that was in the eighties and platforms were really ugly then. I mean, it was, um, there was not, there, it was, there was not the irony and the amount of styles that, that, that people 
um, pursue now then to wear platforms and long hair and capes that was definitely um, ugly that was like that was a real um, that was a real commitment <laughs> and um, <laughs> so yeah it was so it was black tight jeans um, vintage black platforms and a leather jacket that I had kind of cut the bottom off. So it was not cropped, but it was a little bit shorter with the raw. Uh, it was kind of falling apart. And uh, yeah, we didn't take pictures in, so I, don't, I, I have no pictures. Um, nah. And yeah, and then, then my hair was getting kind of long. Um, for a while, I kind of had like a, a long, longish kind of mohawk thing that I did spikes with. Mm -hmm. Um, then, um, that was, that was in my twenties. Then in my thirties, I started wearing biker boots with black, with faded black sweatpants with ripped up faded black army pants, shorts, cutoffs over them, and black t-shirts and a leather jacket. Um, and then I kind of stuck with that into my 40s. Um, mm -hmm. I, I did that look for a long time in leather. And it was either, it was either sweatpants Underneath the cut, underneath the uh, the big army cutoffs, or leather jeans, underneath the army cutoffs. Oh, and then you know what? Then I had a Margella fur coat. That one of those first seasons. One of those first seasons, he did a fake fur coat, like a big bear, brown bear coat. Um, so I had who was that. that you cut out for a second? Oh, Margella. Margella. Oh, Margella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I, I wore that big brown fur coat with my cut-off army cargo pants over my leather jeans with really fucked up biker boots. That was my... And then long hair. That was my look for a long time. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then I moved to Paris. And then you moved to Paris, yeah. And did did the city ever influence how you dressed, or was it purely moving, progressing in your work? Paris, yeah. Well, um, I suppose in a in the sense that I felt like I was where poetry happened, and I had to be at my very, at my most poetic. So it wasn't like the city influenced me. It was more like I felt like I had to rise to the occasion in my own expression. I had to, I had to be eccentric and original and full on. Um, and that was, that was the influence of Paris. It wasn't like there was any aesthetic. It wasn't like there was anything there that I wanted to, um, aesthetically connect with really I almost felt like I had to compete maybe I felt like I, I had to rise to the challenge of um, perverse poetry that mm. 
that it was that is demanded of somebody coming to be creative in Paris. And, you know, it, it couldn't be derivative. It had to be, um, which, of course, everything is. I mean, every, everything any creator does is a composition of all the influences you've seen before. But the, the, point, the key is somewhere you make that con composition your own. So um, that was the influence of Paris. Because um, as far as clothes or style, I mean, Paris doesn't have any style. I, I don't know, know right? How. It's yeah, I don't such know. mythology. It's, and also, like, the area where I, I ended up living. I mean, it's, it's just all um, conservative, rich people. So, yeah. Which was even more of a challenge for me. So, I mean, you know, the challenge that was interesting yeah is that why you were like fuck it we're gonna demolish to this to. house is that why you were like you know what well, we're gonna there, demolish the house <laughs> there was but there was really nothing else to do and it wasn't like it was a traditional house anyway it was a concrete um office building so it wasn't like we um Because I, I don't really attack for the sake of for the sake of attacking. I mean, I I, I appreciate history and I appreciate um, as the aesthetics that came before me. I don't I don't feel the need to destroy them. But um, so it, it's not like I went into you know an 18th century um, hotel particulier and and just took an axe. This was a concrete shell of a of an office building that um, there was nothing else to do but strip it. And then once it was stripped, um, the concrete bones were so good that we didn't really need to do anything else. I mean, at the time, we couldn't afford to do anything else. Um, mm -hmm. But it was still, it, it looked, it was beautiful. We were lucky that we ended up with those beautiful concrete bare, bare bones. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, and you know, I don't know when the last time you you went there, but it is it is exactly the same. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to say about it, it might even be four or five years ago. <laughs> nice, Good. but you because you don't really spend a lot of time there anymore, right? Um, well, in the last couple of years, well, you know, I, I spent confinement there. Um, Okay. The first, the first Paris confinement. Uh, Michelle and I spent it there, and it was it was wonderful. It was, you know, all respect to the people who had a very uncomfortable time during confinement, and to you know respect to um, to the hardships other people. I mean, I I recognize that I had a very privileged corner to spend um, confinement in. But having that time to just um, to read and to um, to study and to replenish, um, which was made all the more urgent by the threat right outside the front door, um, it, it was it, it was it made it more beautiful, more urgent, more. Um, fulfilling. Um, 
So yeah, that was that was really an amazing time. Michelle and I really had a fantastic time together <laughs> during confinement. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I mean, like I said, it was you know it was relatively painless. I mean, we we had we had space, we had trees, we had outside, mm -hmm. we had so um, we were very lucky. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now I haven't been like. I think I was there four years ago, maybe last time, five. So, you know, I've never been upstairs next time. I've oh, never... well, it's, it's not that different from downstairs. I mean, it's all just yeah. all concrete and um, a lot of army blankets. <laughs> Since the same, yeah. But that's where I discovered uh, Barry X Ball because I walked mm. in one day and I was oh you know when it was it was remember there was this like when you just moved the showroom from your house it was to i think saint germain i think it was the, that one season and it snowed like crazy and i came to your house because i thought the showroom was there and so they were trying to get me a taxi there were no taxis to be found because i mean it's snow who in paris would want to work in the snow i mean why would you want to make money um but I, while i was waiting i saw the barry x ball sculptures hanging and then you had books of his work there and i thought like this is incredible and then when i came back to new york like the first thing i did was got in contact with barry and said i want to do an article on you <laughs> so see um there's something I I wanted to go back to your uh I don't know if I keep going back to your Los Angeles days because it sounds so fascinating. Maybe because it was so formative to what you've been doing. Mm. I wanted to talk about I I wanted to talk about sex and the role sex has had in your work and in your life in LA. And how present was it in your life and in your work and to the, and how it has morphed to this day? Because I think it's such an, an important part of your work, but I don't think you've talked about it that much. I feel like you've dropped hints on people, uh -oh. you know, oh. like with the horse video and like a Christine video. But we haven't really, I don't know if you've really discussed it at length. Well, um, I spent a lot of time in sex clubs. I mean, that was kind of my, from my 20s, 30s, no, it was, it was early 30s um, or late 20s. Late 20s, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and it was just, that was the, the world um, it was the alternative nighttime, dark time world that, that, um, that I wanted to live in at the time. And it was, there was a lot of punk crossover. Um, like they would, there would be kind of, they would, they would have punk shows at, at like on Sunday beer busts at a leather bar. So there would be, um, a punk element and then a leather element they always kind of mixed in those days at least in my experience um 
And I, you know, I loved the pageantry of the whole leather scene. It wasn't, but it wasn't, I, I never really felt like I was really a participant. I liked the, um, I liked the ceremony. I liked the, um, and I, I liked the tragicness of it, of, of like, you know, four in the morning in a room full of men just staring off into space, pretending to ignore each other, all dressed up and all desperate to be swept off their feet um, and listening to Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> so, right. Um, so <laughs> that, that mood. Yeah. So that and, you know, on meth. So, I mean, right. that mood. um I, I, that was, that was kind of, um, I don't know. I felt that that was, that was the glamour and depravity that I'd always looked for, that that kind of extreme sensation. Now I never really, um, I never personally, um, did pissing scenes or fisting scenes or, or S and M bondage things. I just, it wasn't. I liked it. I li I loved the aesthetics of it, but it wasn't my personal. Um, it it wasn't something that I was really engaged in with. Um, I did piss on people, and I did piss in people's mouths, but I never, I never did it. I never drank it. I never got pissed <laughs> on. <laughs> So there, there's a scoop. How's that? <laughs> it was amazing. Is that going to disappoint was... everybody that I never swallowed piss, that I never swallowed real piss? I think it was most satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> but only in the video. Only in the video. Only, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, but it was theater. It was grand theater. It was sensational <laughs> theater. Um that's what it was. That's, that's what I was, I, that's what I loved about it. It was, it was, but it was poignant. It was, it was tragic. It was sweet. It was threatening. It was scary. I mean, cause this was during AIDS too. So, I mean, it was, it was extra fraught. Um, and the funny thing is, well, it's not that funny, but what's weird about it is that, um, I, I feel like I probably, I was always a little bit disengaged. So I never really, I went through that period without really understanding um, the full extent of loss that a lot of people went through. I didn't actually know that many people that died of AIDS. Isn't that bizarre? But I just wasn't really, I didn't have a lot of, friends, I would just kind of, I was a loner and I would just kind of drift through this theater and, um, you know, in my platforms and black cape, <laughs> and, uh, which, and I was allowed to do that. I mean, the leather community, um, welcomed younger, punkier, um, you, you that element. So, I could circulate in it, but I, I didn't really engage that much. And so as a result, I never really um, 
knew that many people that died from AIDS. I knew a few, but I didn't. Ha I didn't feel the devastation that that a lot of people in that community and in that period felt. Um, and you know, I suppose somebody now could take offense that I was just. Um, that I wasn't really committed and that I was just using it as a, as a backdrop for my own personal, my own personal theater. But uh, I don't know, my appreciation was genuine. But like I said, I, I, what appealed to me also was that there was, there was damage. These were um, like the whole leather scene was based on... Um, seducing your oppressor, men mm -hmm. dressing up as um, masculine uh, stereotypes and wanting to be oppressed or wanting to be submissive or wanting, um, wanting, wanting that kind of dynamic, wanting to repeat that kind of dynamic that had, that had made them suffer in their youth. Um, all of that, um, there was definitely a tragic under, undertone, but there was also defiance. Mm -hmm. There was also taking ownership of, uh, of your oppressor, becoming the oppressor. Um, anyway, the, all, all of the complexities and the dynamic and then, and, and, self-realization and self-loathing and self-destruction and pride and tolerance and acceptance. I mean, there was, there was a lot going on. <laughs> um, yeah. That was fascinating. And, um, in, in, um, people going to sexual and drug extremes, that fascinated me, like to going, like having as full a life experience and as risky a life experience um, as, as you could, as far as you could go. That was fascinating to me um, because I felt, I felt the, that, um, you know, that's where I wanted to go creatively. I wanted to go as far as I could creatively. I, I, I didn't really um need to go that far sexually and i didn't go that far even with drugs um but somehow that kind of extremity fed uh fed me creatively it, it, it encouraged me to to go as ex to go as extreme as i could there because that's what I was attracted to. I wasn't really attracted to sexual extremity or real or real drug extremity. So, but it was inspirational. Yeah. I think it's just simply, well, it, I imagine it's really, it's, everyone is in a way damaged um, and yeah. seeing that damage on display that acknowledging that and not hiding it away and saying that that exists and but what is thrilling what's what is thrilling is taking that damage and creating something grand out of it and so you know the evening would start at the four star where it would be drag queen 
um, drag queen shows, drag shows. And am I allowed to say drag queen shows now? Or do I need to say transgender? Uh, do I say... You are safe on this podcast, Rick, <laughs> so... Well, you know, I, I don't mean disrespect. I got into trouble a while ago with, um, with Salvia. Do, do you know Salvia? Um, no. Who, who, from London. Well, she did the makeup for my men's, for one of my women's shows, the prosthetic makeup. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was for Larry, yeah. And um, her partner is Parma Ham. And they were, you know, I was hanging out with them and they were saying that they really prefer the pronoun they. And... Um, And I said, you know, I'm just too old. I can't keep up with this. And so I'm just, you know, disrespect, but you know, I, I helped, I helped make you possible. So I've, I've, I've put, I've participated in, in your, um, I have participated in your world for long enough that I feel that I have the right to kind of be a little sloppy if I can't remember to use the pronoun they. And I was being glib and silly and, you know, I was flirt being like just chatty playful. and I didn't, yeah, I was being, yeah, playful and, but they didn't see it that way. And they really got offended that, that I, and, um, I, Parmahan or no, one of them, I, they posted later on that, um, they posted that, um, that I had refused to use the pronoun they, and, um, and it wasn't that I refused. It's just that I'm too dumb to remember how I don't, I can't, I can't remember. So, um, but I, yeah. I get it. I mean, I get it. They want to be, they want to define themselves on their own terms. And I totally respect that. And I'm, I'm sorry that I was a little messy about it and a little silly yeah. about it, but, um, But also, they, I mean, they took it a little too seriously. <laughs> yeah, there's also such things as just like tolerance and friendship that should go beyond these things. Yeah, I it's think. so funny. Then that's that's just that's the lesson that I keep seeing over and over again. Young people want to; they have a utopian ideal of the way people of the way life should be, and then they end up creating so many rules that it becomes an intolerance, corrupt um, place. And I mean, we've, we've seen this in history over and over again. It's just, it's just a cycle that keeps repeating itself. Yeah. Um, But you know what? It's the long American tradition of Puritanism, just in a new, in a new form. Well, when I started my collections... Well, yeah, but I see it in my life, too. I mean, when I started my collections, I wanted to create an, a tolerant place. And then gradually it became something that people referred to as a cult, which ended up alienating other people. And the people that were that were emotionally invested started resenting other people's interest and um, and gatekeeping. And that happens. Mm -hmm. And, you yeah. know, under the most ideal circumstances, it, it can gradually corrupt into that. And um, yeah, what do you do? Human cycles. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually, I've always found it really fascinating that how, how gracious you have been with your work. 
because he could have been very protective, you know, because because the work, it, it because it's unique, and 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 it does form right there. You know, there is a hardcore tribe. There is a hardcore recounts tribe. There's no question there. You know, and, and there is a type of a protectiveness, which I think I know where it comes from. I, I do think it comes from a certain place of authenticity that refuses to be violated. You know, it's it's the most simple example would be someone wearing a Nirvana T-shirt. I have never listened to Nirvana. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I think it's really that kind of mentality. Because you've made, you have created a universe. It's it's not out of nothing. You know, it's it's out of very concrete values that have depth to them and that have a certain definition to them. How could uh, I have protected it more, do you think? I, mean, you, I don't think saying, you can. I, I don't yeah, think you can. Well, you know, I, I've always gotten the credit for any influence that I've had. So that makes it fun. If I had not received credit, that wouldn't have been as fun. So that, that's why it's easy to be gracious when I, when I end up getting the final credit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, what I'm doing is communicating. And, and it's, it's kind of a conversation. I mean, it's a little one-sided because I do all the talking. And I expect pe- and, you know, and, and people respond by buying. So, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds kind of douchey to call it a conversation, but it is. It, 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 it is. is. And, yeah, it is. Um, so, I, 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 I didn't want to be too precious and take myself too seriously. And, and um, I'm, I, I, I want to be open and I want to be honest and I want to be real. So, so I, I'm not, I, I don't feel that protective. I mean, I'm just, I'm just reclusive just because my comfort level is on my own. So, I mean, I'm more comfortable that way. So I just, um, but I, I do, um, think it's important to go out there and, and, you know, the, the, the thing about, I've always, what I've always kind of, I've mentioned this before, like I've always been kind of ashamed and kind of proud of all of the ego that it takes to force your creative um, expression out there. You have to insist that people recognize that this is something that that is worth listening to or responding to. And it, when I think back on it, I'm thinking, how did I have the nerve to think that what I had to say was so important that people had to listen? Where did that come from? Where, how, where, where did that arrogance come from and um but yeah but but it takes a certain amount of ego and a certain amount of arrogance to really force it force it on people Um, and then when people respond um you're having a conversation and everybody on the planet wants to be listened to one way or another and so Mm -hmm. being listened to um it's it's kind of the reason that we're here so um yeah. It's a bit of a luxury, right? In some way to to have 
come to a position where people are listening to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it it, it did take a lot of work, <laughs> so it didn't just happen. No um, question. <laughs> no question. But no, it is, you know, I am very aware that I've gotten way more than I ever had hoped for. So, uh, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I totally won. I mean, I, I had something that I wanted to say. People listened. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's good. Like, what, yeah, it's like, what more can a creator ask for, right? What more but, can one ask for? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is what I wrote when uh, Anzi Milimista retired. And I wrote a piece for Business of Fashion. And I said, you know, in this life, <laughs> a creator, like, she had something to say and she has said it. Like one can yeah, see, I just ask. don't get that. I just don't understand. I don't understand her. I don't understand Helmut Lang. I don't, I, you know, I don't understand Margiela. Like, are they really happy now? I can't imagine. I cannot mm. imagine. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm fascinated. I mean, and you know, I'm thinking everybody does things their own way. I mean, they, mm. they, they found something else that was uh, more important to them. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, do I need, am I still somebody that just needs to keep feeding my ego? Would I be able to turn my back on it and live like in Antwerp in the forest in a cabin, which sounds great, you know, um, next to a lake, um, I couldn't, it's too addictive. It's too (laughs) addictive having a conversation. I don't want this conversation to end. Um, And it, you know, I'm fascinated with them because I'm thinking, did they, they're on another level. Those guys, they found something even, even more satisfying and more fulfilling than that. I'm so... Um, I'm so cheap. I just want to keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's, I don't think it's cheap. I think it's really, you've been incredibly smart as far as I know in keeping the right business people on your side. And that's really what it comes down to. Oh, it's... Fuck no, it's not smart. It's luck. I mean, I'm lucky that they <laughs> oh, lucky. I'm lucky that they put up with me all these years. They're, you know, because- and they're. I've always said this before. I, I said that they. I think they could have. Um, well, I mean, I'm being disingenuous when they said they could have done it with anybody, but, um, but they are. Their their talents. Um, exceeds mine, I think, the way that they're able to um, maintain our flow and our our growth and um, protecting us and um, completely standing behind me creatively, but knowing how to support us commercially. Talented, talented, talented. Um, and that's a marriage that just, it's just a marriage that you're just lucky. 
Um, so it wasn't smart on my part. It was, it was, it was instinct and luck. And um, maybe it was smart just in that we were able to um, find each other and have a connection that worked. Um, yeah. But anyway, I don't take the credit for that. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's been working. And, you know, with the trio you mentioned, I think it was exactly what. And I remember like when Helmut sold to Prada, I was like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you, you haven't heard Bertelli's reputation? Like, you really think they're going to give you complete creative control? And same with Joel Sender. I was like, you know, I was like, uh, you know, what exactly do you want? Do you want to continue saying what you want to say? Or do you want early retirement and seeing your label sort of go up and smoke and <laughs> turned into something that it's not and that's the crazy thing about fashion right you sell your label you sold your name like you can't put your name on well but maybe they were in a different circumstance than i was maybe they didn't have my support system and they needed help and they needed or and they were, they didn't have a good relationship with the people that they were with, and so they needed to they needed to compromise and work with somebody else. Um, there's all sorts of things that can that can you know. I, I'm just really lucky that I'm uh, that I don't have to keep looking around. Yeah, you know. So yeah. maybe they just were not in a comfortable situation where they where they had that choice yeah yeah i mean really who knows right it's only they know we will never get the full picture oh fuck i want the dirt though don't you how are you gonna find out <laughs> of course i want course. all the dirt <laughs> of course but we can take educated guesses right well hopefully it'll come out at some point we'll get yeah. we'll get some uh biographic Some memoirs. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, yeah, not memoirs. We're, we're just trashy biographies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm to going back. I going back to sex. Our favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to remember with the collection where the men's collection where you did the cutouts in garments um, for penises to be shown. Do you remember how you came up with that and what was the reason behind it? Yeah, I was thinking of masculinity. I'm th you know, I was kind of, I was kind of analyzing what I was talking about with the men's runway show. And I'm talking about masculinity and how masculinity is expressed and what, how masculinity throughout history and, um, and how masculinity has always been, has a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it has, has oppressed and, um, and I wanted to deflate that. I wanted to deflate that power. And the simplest way would be to be indifferent about a male penis. 
which is a symbol of masculinity, but to display to display it indifferently, I thought that I thought it was a gentle gesture of vulnerability and of the power of giving up the power. Um, and I thought that it would offend men. It would offend just the kind of men that I wanted to offend. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, it was on the it was on the news in Fran in Paris, and um, and like the reporter goes, you know, he's go he's going around to different shows. Um. So anyway, so they asked Catherine Deneuve. She's at a show, and they go, oh, "Did you see?" Um, the Rick Owens show, he showed penises and she goes, oh, I like his stuff. Did he really? How interesting. Which was very cute. And I, I was, I, I like fainted. Um, then they went to, they went to the Chanel show and they, they talked to Karl Lagerfeld and Karl Lagerfeld just kind of had this little fit. He goes, oh, that Rick Owens. He's, you know, I understand. I heard that he had to send all the way to Berlin for those boys to show their charcuterie on the runway show. It's disgusting. You know what we should call him? We should call him Dick Owens. And I'm thinking, Karl Lagerfeld has been taking prissy little pictures of like shining light on pubic hairs of like young male models for all of this time. And he's been like coy. And I'm just putting a dick out there and like, he can't handle it. And I thought that's so hilarious. That is just, um, yeah, I was really, I was tickled to death with that. I was tickled to death that I offended Karl Lagerfeld. Yeah. Which didn't take much in his last years, let's face it, but it was great. It was like when they, when, so I was at the show, but I think I was I was either in the second row or third. So from the side, you know, you can't really see. But when models started coming out, like I'm I'm just, you know, you start seeing feeling this energy sort of going through the audience, right? Because someone's seeing something and they're like <laughs> telling someone else. And then I got a glimpse and I'm like, is that what I'm really seeing is that what i'm seeing and then i got another glimpse and i'm like yes fuck yes that's freak at its best and then a couple of days later i was i was still uh, i was still in paris because it was still fashion week and it was like bbc cnn probably mentioning your name for the first time ever and i thought not only was subversive, it was so fucking smart. I was like, you want a cult designer to get on BBC? <laughs> like, show some dick. Because <laughs> that will get their attention, if nothing honestly, else. Honestly, I never really think about the attention part. Because I always, I'm never, you know, for me, I don't even know people are out there, kind of. I mean, I don't really feel that whole audience thing. I mean, I do to a certain extent when I go out there. But I... You know, I don't think that this is going to get me on the BBC. I never really 
Um, I don't really think that many people are paying attention, to tell you, to be honest. I'm going, well, you know, um, Susie Menkes might say something, <laughs> you know, but I don't really, I don't really think of anything bigger beyond our little fashion world, kind of. Um, oh, wait, I was going to say something. Penises, penises. What was it about penises? Oh, you know, it was funny, though. Um, like, later on, the, I don't know, like a couple, well... It was Obama's last state dinner. Um, I got invited to Obama's last state dinner. And I know that Michelle Obama had worn some stuff. And, and so I, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, that's how. Um, but anyway, I had tea when we went to Washington. Michelle and I went to Washington. Um, I invited Obama's uh, Mrs. Obama's stylist to tea. And I, you know, just to say thank you and like, you know, do we know each other? Like, how did this mm -hmm. happen? And like, why am I here exactly? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so she was really nice. And, and I was going, um, I, I was, uh, you know, it was just surprising because I mean, I'm kind of obscure to, for like the wash for the White House to recognize. And I go, you know, how did that happen? I mean, how did, was there a security issue? <laughs> and, <laughs> and she goes, yeah, she goes, well, you have to be vetted to get into the wash, to get into a state dinner. And to be honest, um, when they Googled you, all they found were a lot of pictures of male, men's penises. And so that was a little hard to get you confirmed, uh, but, but they decided to anyway. And I'm thinking, I'll be damned. Bless their hearts. I mean, Michelle Obama didn't get phased by male penises. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember seeing pictures of you and Michelle, like, as, you know, guests to dinner. And it'd be like, a suit, a ball gown, a suit, a ball gown, a suit, a ball gown. And then you and Michelle, and I'm sitting there rubbing my eyes. I'm like, is... Am I seeing this? Like, did they misplace the pictures? I was like, why, like you know, why Rick and not like Ralph Lauren? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I thought good for them. I mean, that was that was um, they're aware. They're aware that they were really aware of people. I mean, they were um, they were conscious. Yeah, I. I frankly miss them at the white house well but um yeah that was nice yeah but the amount of dirt that president kept up we're still seeing the fallout and that was really and it hasn't disappeared and that's what is the most chilling part about it that it almost that he almost won and that element has not disappeared. It is still there. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty creepy. I know. It's. Uh, I read another article a couple of years ago that young people have less sex than generations before them. And I found it so sad in a way uh so i feel like sexuality should be explored uh, and should not be taboo 
Well, is it taboo or are they just kind of desensitized to it? I mean, I, I think, think it's with, that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and also desensitized. And um, when you have the biggest cocks and the best bodies in the world to look at every single day, um, it can be demeaning. It can be uh, young people are already insecure. So to be confronted with that kind of insecurity all the time, it must make it not easy. Yeah. I also feel like we've become so sterile on some level as a society. And we used to do like all these things. I was reading a Malcolm McLaren's biography which one? Yeah, I did too. I, I read that this summer. Uh, Paul, Paul Gorman's. I can't Paul. remember. It was a big fat yeah, one. So. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I did a podcast episode with Paul on the book. I'm going to send it to you. Yeah. We okay. had a really yeah. good conversation. I really, it, I think, I guess that's the one. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was really great. But he says in it, you know, like people like that, music and dressing up was it wasn't s simply about sex because you know most of the times you went out you did not get laid like let's face it you know like but it was about the possibility of sex and that was the most enticing part you know and mclaren was smack in the middle of that he sort of sort of put that to the fore in his work and this is late 2000s and he said like i see this diminishing now like everything is a little too clean a little too sterile you know there's a little too much hand sanitizer on everyone's hands and i was and that's what i've been thinking about lately and wondering why that why that is and i don't know if it's like i would go to these fashion parties in new york that my friend did and there were all these people and and they were dressed sexy and they looked good but i would look at them and i say like, none of you are getting laid tonight that's not what you came for even you look it's this like what i call it's that this eddie sliman universe you know like Everyone looks sexy, but no one's having sex. <laughs> it's just like, it's a little too clean. And that's what, that's what been on my mind about. And I don't know quite what it is. Is it the, the obsession with being safe? Um, the yucky factor of other human beings. But, but it's like, it's almost like we now like, People are more obsessed with exercise than ever, right? People are more obsessed mm. with what they're wearing than ever. But it's like for selfies and not for, you know, it's like for like Instagram likes are like the new orgasms. I don't know. I don't really what know. I'm not really circulating that much. I thought all the kids were having sex. <laughs> I thought sex yeah. and drugs are out there as much as ever. As far as, I mean, from like the kids I know, it seems like they're having as much sex as they need. Yeah. Oh, 
That's good to hear. Maybe sex, yeah, sex and drugs—they're forever. They're eternal. They're eternal values. <laughs> they're, they're eternal values. And there's、um, Tinder and Grinder. Everybody can, you know, everybody can hook up.、Um, it's you know, it's like、um, Uber Eats. <laughs> it's. it's Tinder and Uber Eats.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as one doesn't substitute the other. I think the kids are fine. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, I feel like sometimes I'm like, you're too too alarmist. Like, kids are all right. It's just maybe you don't understand anymore, and I don't know, but. Would you say, like you know, sex remains central to your work, to your aesthetic, to how you, to what you put on the runway? Um, probably mortality and kindness, and then sex.、Okay. Probably in that order. Um, but but sex is definitely, um, I you know I remember Michelle telling me like a while ago. She she said um, um. She says sometimes your women are a little too stately. They need to be more fuckable. And oh, I listened. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But I thought that was you know I thought that was good advice because yeah I, I could get a little too respectful when it came with women.、Um, and she was right. I I I needed to, and I used to be a little bit more. Um, like mini skirts, for instance, like five years ago, ten years ago, I thought mini skirts were the dumbest things. I thought that whole that whole thing about having to cross your legs all the time, about having to pull your skirt down all the time, about having to like、um, always, you know, move a certain way because you couldn't you couldn't expose your pussy and you had to sit cross legged so nobody saw your pussy and you had to like. Do this, so like it was all about pussy, 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 and it was just so coy. <laughs> it just kind of always, I was,、um, it, there was just such a coyness, just like a peekaboo. Like we can't look, we can't look, don't look, don't look.、Um, and then I, but then like later on, I don't know. I just spent more time at the beach, <laughs> and I started. <laughs> And just like、uh, more naked bodies and more nudity and more, and it just started seeming more natural to me. And it just、um, so now、uh, I don't have a problem with mini skirts as much. I mean,、um, when it when it's when it's too much about mini skirts and high heels on cobblestones, and you know. It seems like there's a little, there's something a little bit too.、Um, you're making it really hard for a girl to enjoy herself、um, with all of those,、yeah. all of those things to. But,、um, but no, now, now I feel now I don't know why I just kind of changed about it. It's it's、mm-hmm. not a problem as much for me now. Now now I feel like. Um, the freedom of more flesh, and, and you know, and I started wearing, I started showing more flesh. I started, you know, wearing those 
ridiculous deep V t-shirts all the time to show off my tits. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, while I still can. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I changed. Rick, honestly, how do you keep in such great shape? Like, I work so out nice. every single day. Every, I work yeah. out every day. And it's crazy. It's it just um, it just becomes second nature, and I've been doing it for twenty years, so it's just like part of um, it's just a maintenance thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also it's uh, meditative. It's um, escapism. It's also kind of mosh pit energy. It's probably mm-hmm. violence. It's probably there's a little bit of violence in there that is pleasing. Um, yeah. Well, props from me. <laughs> this is great. Um, well, on that note, couldn't end on a better note, I think. Um, thank you so much, Rick, for doing this with us. Like, I really appreciate it. And I think our audience will too. Oh, I hope so. I mean, I feel like I just kind of blathered on and I didn't have anything very pithy to say, but um, another time. I always feel the same way and then it just comes out great. So, <laughs> so I think we're going to be fine. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. Intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.